first you can get people to follow you or through tyranny. The the first one works a little better than the second one, but uh, uh, a lot of times uh, people fall back to tyranny and just because I told you so. Uh, one of the other things is, uh, and I learned this at a fairly young age, but if I was, I didn't learn it at 20, but uh, always know the reasons why. If you know why you're doing something, then you can be innovative, you can adapt, you can change, you can make it better. If you just do it because this is how I was told to do it, and you don't understand the whys behind it, you can't be innovative. All you can do is duplicate it in that environment. Oil and gas today is more than exploration and production. It is more than the feet drilled or the hours of continuous pumping. The oil field is a group of people, companies, technologies, and institutions working towards providing the world with safe, affordable energy that is sustainable for the billions of people that depend on the success of the industry. The Oil Field 360 podcast is a 360-degree deep dive into the leaders of the industry who will provide listeners with a first-hand account of what it takes to build, maintain, and lead the energy business into the future. The Oil Field 360 podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, one of the largest and most experienced energy investment banking firms in the industry offering M&A advisory, capital markets execution, and investment research. For more information, please visit SimmonsPSC.com. Lockton Global Energy and Marine, uncommonly different. Lockton is the world's largest privately owned insurance broker and risk finance advisor. Lockton's global energy expertise is centered in Houston and represents the largest concentration of energy specialists, clients, and experiential knowledge in the upstream, midstream, and downstream segments of the oil and gas industry. Visit LockedIn.com for more information. Tomahawk Safety, a leading manufacturer of safety gloves ergonomically designed for superior fit, offering best-in-class protection and helping you combat the industry's toughest jobs. Tomahawk is also supporting our frontline healthcare workers by offering isolation gowns, gloves, masks, and other critical medical PPE. For more information, please visit TomahawkSafety.com. Range Valuation Services. Range is the only oil and gas focused valuation and appraisal firm in the financial services industry. Range specializes in appraising and valuing oil field equipment, machinery, inventory, and property, and customarily works directly with clients, lenders, investment bankers, insurers, and private equity and debt sponsors. For more information, please visit rangevaluationservices.com. Welcome to the Oilfield 360 podcast. My name is Josh Lowey. I'm joined as usual with the co-host extraordinaire, David Rode. We are in the Fletcher Azul Tequila podcast studio, which is, that was my most fluid time I've ever said that. This is, I'm getting better at this every single day. It's pretty impressive. It, I'm, as per the usual, I'm always impressed with myself. This is, uh, now when people watch this today, David, they're going to notice some things. Uh, we are not in our usual seats. No, no, we're not. Do you feel and do you feel comfortable in that new seat? I feel very comfortable because let me tell you why I feel comfortable because we got two Navy SEALs in the room with us and they wanted to have the uh, the you know the most prime position in the room to uh, 
make sure everything was safe. The tactical safe. advantage, dude. The tactical advantage. Oh exactly. man, we're going to get into those guests in a minute. How, how are you doing, David? We are we are a week out from the election. How do you how are you feeling with everything? You busy? I'm feeling good. I, I I'm hopeful, optimistic for our country. People will make the right decisions, and uh, I'm really excited to have our two guests here. I've known both these guys for quite a while, and really excited about what they're doing, and can't wait for them to share some of their stories with the audience. So why don't, before you introduce them, I'm going to let you do this. I you know when guests come in and they say, hey, we're going to sit over here. I'm usually like, no, this is our show. We sit there. What are you talking about? If if I highly recommend those that are listening to this to go check out the YouTube channel. I would like to see you tell these guys no. That's just all I'm going to say. You're not you're not moving these guys out of their seat. You're not going to tell them where to sit. I, I said, yo, yo, no, yes, sir. I'll sit over here. It's absolutely no problem. <laughs> so welcome to the show, gentlemen. David, give it, give us a good intro here. Well, uh, good morning, guys. I'm I'm glad. Uh, to see you both here and privileged to introduce uh, Justin Bliffin, who is the founder and CEO of Brigade Energy Services, and my good buddy, uh, Kevin Pope, who's also with Brigade Energy Services and is director of service quality. And uh, uh, glad you guys could make it here. Justin, you're joining us from Denver. Kevin's already here in Houston. So good morning. Thanks, thanks for having us. Thank you. Oh, thanks for letting us uh, you know, not have our backs to the door. Because it's just impossible for us to have our backs to the just door. Just to be comfortable? I, yes. Yeah, I, listen, I love it. Yeah, th- th- this podcast would not have gone well if we had our backs to the door. We'd be looking over Constantly the entire time. Over you know, our shoulders. you got to always be prepared. So. See, I have a different uh, defense. I just kind of, one of those goats that freezes up and falls over. I just, <laughs> I don't even mess around. They come in, I just, that, that guy's already dead. Move on. So thank you for here, for being here. So you came in for Denver, de- from Denver for this? Yes, sir. Oh, I like it. Came in last That's night. That's kind of commitment we're looking for. Yeah, look, no, it's our pleasure. We're we're super pumped to be here and uh, have a good, have a good conversation with you. Tell a little bit about the brigade story. What's what's going on in Denver? How's Denver doing? I mean, hey, you know, uh, we uh, we had ten inches of snow on Sunday and Monday, a little early for uh, you know the Rockies, um, but uh, Colorado sun came out, tore it up, and uh, had a snow day on Monday, and and back to it on uh, for my kids that is, and yeah. back to it yesterday, but. Uh, uh, other than that, we were just, you know, the, the COVID, the, the, the Rona, the virus is, uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the stats, we were kind of losing early. We were like a, a top five offender. And then uh, our, uh, our, our government shut us down and we, uh, you know, we kind of fell into the middle of the pack, 25, 26, if, you know, I think. And, um, and then things started cutting loose and you know we'd be you know we've become a, an offender again and now the government's locked us back down so they're shutting down all the bars and and you know so all that this nonsense. episode is being recorded just under a week before the election so uh i have a feeling that the election is going to cure some of this lockdown yeah i look i uh i'm not going to get too political no, here. I, I can't i can't control <laughs> kevin he's probably going to get political at some point here well but, uh, we've got jonathan back there to save us all <laughs> from ourselves yeah. so yeah, we do. Have, you know, Colorado's been. This is the thing I'll say about Colorado. Colorado's been a purple state. Uh, you know, supposedly for the last fifteen plus years. Historically, you go further back. It was a. It was a hard red state. You know, mining, agriculture, cattle, uh, oil and gas, entertainment, tourism, skiing, etc. And um, but it's it's really been in the population centers more of a blue state. You know, in Denver and Boulder for the last number of years. Right. And so. Um, Kind of like our country is Colorado. You know, you got two population centers that are bright blue, and you got the whole rest of the square footage that is uh, that is definitively red. So we'll see. The, it's a swing state for the Senate. The sure. Senate vote might be a bigger vote than the, the Corey, presidential Corey vote. Corey Garner, your guy, yes, sir. Yeah, or one of your guys. Yeah. 
the People's Republic of Boulder, as they oftentimes refer <laughs> well, you to know, it. Colorado <laughs> is a much more southwest country or uh, state than people think it is. I mean, it's it's not. I don't know. I don't know what I thought it was, but it's it feels very southwestern when you're there. Uh, so I don't know. Everybody loves Colorado. I know they hate Texans, but we love them. So uh, now, where are you from, Kevin? Uh, originally or or now? So I live here in Houston now, but okay. uh, uh, grew up in Texas and joined the Navy, went away for 25 years and then showed back up in Texas. Now, from what I understand, you just blew through 25 years <laughs> as though, you know, Buzz Aldrin was like, yeah, and I, I took a flight one time. So we're going to have to come back to that 25 years in a minute here and, and explore that. But this is going to be an exciting podcast. No, I'm really excited about it, uh, both because of these gentlemen and uh, and also what they're doing in their company. And so, you know, guys, as we like to generally start our conversations with our guests, we like to give a little background for our listeners as to who you guys are and how you got to where you are. So with that being said, maybe, Justin, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, how you got to where you are, and, and, uh, and then, Kevin, maybe we can get you to give a little background on yourself, and then we can talk about... <laughs> brigade and everything else. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, born in Pennsylvania and spent the first uh, 11 or so years there. Moved what, to what part of Pennsylvania? I'm, I like PA. Bucks County, uh, which is about hour or so north of Philadelphia okay. uh, near the Delaware River. And you okay. can, you know, about 15 minutes from where uh, Washington crossed the Delaware okay. Valley Forge. Um, moved to Dallas, Texas when I was a uh, kid and uh, grew up in Cedar Hill, which is southwest Dallas, uh, not far from the Barnett uh, for what that's worth. And uh, I joined the Navy when I was 18, like Kevin, and uh, spent 12 years all over the world and then made my, uh, made my way into oil and gas and energy, uh, you know, on a diversified path. But wait go a ahead. minute, you, you did, you mean, where did you go to school? That's a big deal. I went to uh, the United States Naval Academy, Annapolis, go Navy, beat Army. Yeah. And, um, and uh, systems engineering degree. Uh, I actually served as a surface warfare officer for, a couple of years, spent a year at sea, and then I uh, did what's called a lateral transfer, ended up in BUDS in the SEAL teams, hit SEAL Team 5 and SEAL Team 7 at a very busy time, right, as the SEALs were getting as busy as they've ever been. And so um, <clears throat> had a lot of fun. As I say all the time, it was not uh, selfless service, so don't say thank you. It was selfish. I was having a hell of a good time yeah. as a young man. And, uh, and you know, did four deployments, three to the Middle East, two to Iraq. And, you know, just a fraction of the service that the, the guy to the left of me uh, did, which you'll hear about shortly. Um, and then I, uh, I wanted to get into energy. Uh, that's a whole nother, you know, story. Um, uh, I can get on my soapbox about how lack of a coherent energy policy has driven our foreign policy for the last 75 years, give or take. And um, I did that. I went back to school in the East Coast and then I got sucked into the, the financial uh, vortex of New York. So I did three years in Manhattan trading um, crude oil and, and, and uh, energy derivatives. Uh, the biggest thing I learned from that experience was I don't want to do that for the rest of my life, but it was a good experience. That, but who did you do that for? They don't let just dummies in the door. So uh. I, 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 uh, I work for the Vampire Squid of America, which uh, is uh, Goldman Sachs. And I, and I say that uh, <laughs> in kidding, uh, obviously. Um, that was a uh, infamous uh, headline from uh, 2007, 2008. But no, um, a great institution. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a place that has an elite culture. They aspire to be the best, um, you know, at Goldman. And it was a, it was a tough job, you know, and I felt like I knew what a tough job was. 
But uh, as a trader at, at Goldman on the energy book, I, you know, a bunch of esoteric, non-transferable skill sets. Felt like I already had a bunch of those from the SEAL teams. And for me, I wanted to get, uh, this is in late 2010, I wanted to get closer to, to the wellhead. I was trading the largest oil book in the world as a junior guy on the New York team, a small team, um, and could tell you all sorts of stuff about the, you know, 10 year out five delta put skew, but couldn't tell you anything about what actually happens at a wellhead. And uh, so I wanted to get close to the wellhead. I wanted to uh, get involved in this domestic unconventional boom that was kicking off in places like the Barnett and the Elm Cooley of, of the Bakken and elsewhere. I wanted to do some entrepreneurial and I want to get out of New York City. Uh, those were some of the main boxes uh, <laughs> checked. So I moved out to Denver, got recruited by uh, a guy uh, I knew and a friend and um, started, uh, started a non-op uh, upstream Bakken. And then we built a upstream and then we vertically integrated in our value chain, built a frack company, helped build a midstream company, did a vision quest in 2016, and then started attacking U.S. well servicing uh, with Brigade at the end of 16, early 17. Cool. Right. So we'll, we'll, we'll go into that. But Kevin, give us a little bit of background uh, on you, which is uh, pretty spectacular as well. Unlike others in the room, I'm not here to talk about myself. I will give a little <laughs> bit of an introduction, but uh, I, uh, oh, whatever time he doesn't take, I'd like for me. That's possible. <laughs> man, yeah. that was just a, like a jab right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, sorry, uh, I'll talk about him then. <laughs> yeah. uh, born the son of a West Texas cotton farmer. Um, uh, dad lost farm three years in a row, held out, droughted out, and then uh, bank took the tractors. So we had to move on, became a builder. And uh, so I spent some time in Colorado. We moved up there for a while, moved back to Texas. And that's where I joined the Navy from and uh, went to Texas, got into the SEAL teams. My plan was to, to be a SEAL and really didn't have any plans after that. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. So, and that's what I plan on doing forever. So I got in there and uh, 11 combat deployments later, you know, uh, with tours to multiple tours, Iraq, Afghanistan, Bosnia, Kosovo, some outside the combat theaters uh, with some of the stuff they've got to do. But uh, Great time. And, uh, you know, I never knew uh, how to get out or, or when or whatever. And uh, one of my mentors told me, he's like, uh, you'll know when it's time to get out. Yeah. He's like, it'll be apparent. And uh, I got selected as the operations master chief at WARCOM, uh, which is the overall command for all the SEAL teams. And uh, so I was the number two senior enlisted for the, the community at the time. And uh, spent about a year doing that. And it's like, yeah, it's it's time. You know, I, I um, it's, it's been fun. I like, did it for selfish reasons, you know, loved every minute of it. Uh, but it was time to get out. And so I started going, all right, what am I going to do? Cause I didn't have a plan much like Justin, which, you know, he's a much better planner than I am obviously. But, uh, um, uh, the reality was I didn't think I was going to survive it. So I didn't really build a plan afterwards. And, uh, so when I did, I said, all right, well, I'm going to go back to Texas. You know, they got great veterans benefits and, uh, I've been fighting for oil for the last 25 years. So I might as well go be part of it and see if we can, uh, help make our country, country energy independent and see what we can do there. And so, uh, came to Houston and started doing some interviews and, uh, got picked up, uh, by a private equity firm who, uh, gave me an opportunity with, with no experience, no, uh, no value add in the beginning. That was in, uh, 2014, uh, downturn hit and, uh, realized very quickly that if I was not, uh, adding value to the company, I wasn't going to be there very long. And so they had a, uh, well-servicing company, um, and, had a tremendously high uh, TRIR, total recordable instant rate. And they said, hey, we want to see if you can fix this. Uh, well, I didn't, never dealt with OSHA, never dealt with uh, TRIR for that, never uh, was in part of a safety program or anything else. But 
uh, had a lot of experience in leadership and uh, knew what leaders could do and what they could change and how they could shape a business. So uh, took that path of uh, training these guys and we started the Montro uh, Safety Through Leadership and uh, started teaching the guys how to be leaders out there in the oil field. And so uh, did that for a little over three and a half years. Uh, we did three acquisitions and a merger and uh, following the merger, I was like, yeah, I want to do something else. Justin and I had met about a year prior to that. And uh, he called me up on the phone one day and said, Hey, I heard there's a, another seal in the well servicing space. And I said, well, I'd, I'd heard the same thing. <laughs> he goes, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm building the best well servicing company in the country. Cause that's what I'm doing. <laughs> so, he's like, Oh, maybe we should get together. I was like, oh, maybe we should. I'm pretty happy right now. But, uh, but uh, following the merger, uh, I called him up and said, well, when are you going to throw me that offer? He's like, well, now. <laughs> so, so that's how we got linked up and uh, came over to Brigade. Now, a little over three years later, we're, uh, we're having a good time and uh, building this company out and making some of these changes that, uh, uh, you know, we've seen. And, and I, I guess we'll explain those more as we go along. But, uh, uh, but yeah, that's pretty much my history. Well, you, you kind of blew. Anytime somebody like me hears SEAL team. Am I, which SEAL team were you a part of? Ah, quite a few of them. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I, I did uh, time at SEAL team eight, uh, SEAL team 10, SEAL team four, uh, development group and WARCOM. Okay. So. Yeah. There's one of our friends, uh, Chris Schilling is, is he, he called us to kind of prep us for a lot of this and really speaks highly of you guys and, and was just saying that the stories that Kevin might have to tell are incredible. And uh, so I, I don't know what we'll get out of there, but I do know that we appreciate you say it's selfless or selfish, which I've heard my buddies tell me the same thing. But truly, uh, I don't want to blow by this without telling you guys, thank you. You guys were involved in the military in a very scary time for the world, for the country. And uh, just from David and I and, and everyone listening, we do very sincerely appreciate that. So we can move, but thank you very much. Pre appreciate thank you saying you. that. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, you can't get stories out of him unless you got some Crown Royale. So. Well, we, we drank all of, by the way, we're not allowed to say that in this, in the Fletch oh, Azul studio. Man, we are so, contractually yeah. obligated to say it. What let, are you even let talking me, about? Let me say it again. You can't get any stories out of him without some whiskey. Yeah. How's that? <laughs> yeah, we, can, we can generalize. Maybe tequila. <laughs> so, yeah. So, well, welcome. Um, okay. So, three years you guys have been together building that, you know, you were building individually the greatest oil field service companies, but now together, what, what is and your, your time together has been, it's been a difficult three years. I mean, whether it's self, I mean, I'm not saying self-inflicted like that, but the, you know, there's things that go on in any business that are, you know, our own, but there's also external forces that are severe. Uh, how have you dealt with the last three years? Sure. Um, and I, sh I should say, you know, um, we are two of the only SEALs out there that don't have a book out as well. So <laughs> well, you'll uh, notice we've got one up here. Uh, the, and there's, the no books, there's no books coming out anytime soon. But, and, uh, well, I think you said, I, I'm sorry, I know I ask questions, then I just go right by them. But you said that you didn't expect to survive it, which is actually a pretty chilling statement when you really think how in deep you really were. Uh, but you always knew that you wanted to be a SEAL. And that's what uh, Crenshaw always said. He's like, when I was 13 years old, I knew what I wanted to do. So there was nothing else for me to focus on that. How did that, now I'm, I'm switching the question up, but like that singular focusedness on where you wanted to go to where now, I assume both of you had that singular focusedness. And now how does that translate really through the ups and downs of what we've been through? Yeah. And, and so a, a book, 
led me there when I was 14 too. You know, Dick Marchenko's Rogue Warrior, I read it when I was a kid in Dallas, Texas and uh, planted the seed and, you know, the journey was launched. So I think most team guys you talk to have a, a similar type anecdote like that. But um, to your question, uh, look, um, it has been a challenging few years. Uh, we, uh, you know, it was challenging when we started. You know, this business was launched in uh, late 16. Um, and it hasn't been a robust market for the, you know, pre-COVID for the last four years. Uh, in that tough market, we, um, we have been growing market share. You know, it was uh, deliberately launched to be a merger acquisition strategy to, you know, there was plenty of iron out there and lots of good people out there. Um, and so we felt like it was a compelling time, a value-oriented time to build this business and to gain scale through merger acquisition. Over the last four years, I've looked at 35 plus well-servicing companies. We put seven LOIs out. We've acquired five. And uh, those five was really 10 to 15 because underneath those companies was some disparate, unintegrated, you know, uh, unconsolidated companies that, that we did. Uh, we'd like to say that we've done a decent job of integrating, uh, professionalizing, and, and more importantly, innovating uh, the companies that we bought. Um, and so we we haven't kept them branded with uh, respective leaders in place all the time uh, of, of the companies that we acquired. We made them brigade. Um, and so I could you know rattle off all the acquisitions, but it doesn't really matter. Now they're <laughs> whatever Brigade Wyoming used to be, it doesn't matter. It's now Brigade Wyoming for, you know, that's how we think about it. It's not that it doesn't matter. The, the legacy of those companies, you know, is important. The people, the customers, you know, the cultures, of course. And we tried to check as many of those boxes as possible with the, you know, LOIs and, and that we put out and the, and the business that we've acquired. Um, how, how many locations do you guys have? Uh, we have about uh, 20 or so locations. You know, uh, we're, we're headquartered in Denver, but we have a, a strong uh, uh, Houston corporate office. And, um, you know, we have a lean corporate team, you know, but, you know, it's just handful of bodies really in small offices in, in Denver and in Houston. And then 20 or so field uh, facilities from North Dakota, Wyoming, Northern Colorado, West Texas, uh, Oklahoma, South Texas, kind of center fairway, uh, oil basin. Uh, and then and the last thing I'll, I'll try to say to answer your question, and I'll pass the mic is hopefully we were able to convey a lot of the following theme, which is we are trying to add a lot of, uh, you know, process specifically around competency management as well as some, you know, data innovation into U.S. well servicing. And um, really, we're trying to put a competency management system in place. Uh, we think that is where the hazard lies in U.S. well servicing. Um, it's not that some of the, the, the big and, and, and good and great companies out there haven't made progress. They absolutely have uh, in U.S. well servicing over the years and decades. But we think it's a, a little bit of a space that's been um, broadly, not every single company, but broadly left behind. Uh, whereas some other service lines, offshore drilling rigs, what have you, they have true, legitimate learning management, competency management systems where they vet, train, advance an individual. Anybody who's been a veteran, uh, anybody who is a veteran, you don't have to be a Navy SEAL, um, will tell you, yeah, I was in a legitimate competency management system. Any branch of service, any MOS, any specialty uh, they learn their job in a good system, uh, you know, it, inevitably a hazardous environment type job. And they were trained how to do that, given the unique skill sets uh, before, uh, you know, sent out to the field. That is, you know, in a nutshell, what we are ambitiously trying to do in U.S. well servicing. And Kevin can rattle off the, all the details of where we're at on that journey. Uh, but we are trying to build a legitimate competency management system to raise the bar on U.S. well servicing to ultimately... Uh, to deliver a better service quality to our customers and to keep our guys safer. And, and you know, the punchline is we can't churn. We're not trying to churn 
floor hands into frogmen. That would be a you know exercise in futility. But we are trying to take some of that DNA from a pretty elite system and culture that we know and put it into this very hazardous space to make it better. So, uh, Kevin, Vice President of Service Quality, is that what he's talking about when he says competency management system? Uh, that, that's part of it. That falls underneath <laughs> yes. your purview? Okay. What, uh, give the audience, we have, we have people, like I said, all over the world, a lot of finance people in New York, D.C., policy people. Uh, so there's, there's obviously a certain segment of the audience that's going to totally understand uh, what Justin just talked about. Can you break that down for the layman and, and woman out there that doesn't understand exactly what they're talking about? And what and how do you implement that? Mm. Well, how you implement it is, uh, is an interesting process. But yeah, I'll try to break it down as uh, best I can. Okay. Uh, so it, it was interesting. So we, in the SEAL teams, we had a what we call a personal qualifications manual that you were issued, you know, day one. And it was, you know, three inches thick and you had to uh, accomplish all those things in there. You had to get signed off. It was some of it OJT and some of it was studying. It. <laughs> Let me, this is after you make it through buds and our selection process okay. over six, seven months. And we've already lost 85% of the guys who want to be SEALs. Okay. Then you get to a team and you get what Kevin's talking about. Right. Okay. Yeah. So when you show up at us, your first SEAL team, you know, it's like, okay, you made it through you're buds. Still, you've got through your selection. Up. Now you got to learn how to be a SEAL. Fair you enough. know. And so, so, uh, you know, uh, Justin, rightfully so I came in, he says, I want a PQS manual. It's like, okay, well, we'll start working on that. And it's, it's like, we, we don't have any doctrine. There's nothing in the well servicing space that I've been able to find that says, this is how you do every task and job in the oil field service space. And so uh, the process of, of developing a competency management, first you have to be able to identify what those competencies are. So you got to uh, know what they are and then you got to find a way to, to capture that information. So it's got to be written down. Um, and I'm not a 40 year well servicing guy. You know, I spent six months working on a rig cause I needed to know what the day-to-day -day challenges were out there. So I knew how to help them, but, uh, uh, not a well servicing guy, you know, I, um, so had to get some guys and, and then convince them that there, we could do things better. You know, so I had some 40 year plus great guys, uh, that, uh, once I showed them how and, and taught them how to write doctrine, we're, we're still getting better at it. We've been doing it for about three years, but, uh, having to go back and revisit some of the stuff we wrote early on now that they have learned how to write it. Um, but, uh, the doctrine's your baseline. So we take our doctrine that we've gotten written and, uh, you know, we've got a hundred and three of these written now, about 88 of them approved um, through our uh, change management process. Uh, but those become the basis of all of our training. And then we develop training modules that help you achieve those things where, where we tell you how to do it to begin give, with. Give me an example of one of the 88 that's approved. Uh, tripping pipe into the hole. Okay. You know, and so, so you had one of your experts write down exactly how to do it correctly. And, and then you guys say, this is everything here is right from tip to top, you know, from whatever nuts and bolts there. And then once it's approved, then that is the way that that will be taught throughout the entire organization. Yeah, that, that's the baseline. That's how they use it. So we use those as actual field examples of, of how to do the job. Yeah. So they're supposed to review that before they do the job, okay. you know, so, but we train to that. So in the, the training itself, uh, once we had a number of these written down. We initially identified 53 jobs is what we came up with in the oil field. Now we're up to 306 uh, different things in well servicing. So it's a these are very unique, impressive. unique skill sets. So this unique, isn't yeah. lockout, tag out. These are well servicing specific yeah. events or actions. It, it is unique. I mean, and, and I don't mean to, to kind of, you know, this is the kind of stuff that gets lost. This is the stuff that moves the needle. And this is the stuff that 
when you look at well servicing history, you look at any any corporate history of any industry sector, and you go, what what did we miss? What's wrong? What happened? The reality is, so many of these businesses just get slapped together. You know, I deal with the risk side, so I get to see what happens when the shit hits the fan, contractually, operationally, et cetera. And you can learn a lot from that. And so, when you take that into consideration, when you're building a business like Justin and Kevin have been doing, and really focus on that, because at the end of the day. These two guys who are amazing human beings, they're not the ones that make the difference. It's the guys right. in the field. And so if they are sharp, well-prepared, well-resourced to do the job at hand, and they're competent in it, and they're efficient, which means they're safe, you're going to get, you're going to, one, you're going to build an incredible reputation. Two, you're going to, you're going to see a greater return on your investment. And that is sustainable. And that's what everybody wants to know. They're coming up with all this BS stuff and they're not focusing on their people and they don't focus on their customers. These guys are focusing on their people. And by focusing on their people, they're also building something that is exactly what the customers want, which we'll get into a little bit later. All right. Sorry. Well, that I, just, no, I, I'm great, fired up about what they're doing because yeah. I believe in what they're doing. And I know it, it, it'll work. They are actually growing in a downturn. Ladies and gentlemen, and while while the financial performance is not what anybody would like it to be, they're doing really well compared to their peers. Right, and and so when we see this return, when people realize that energy is not a you know binary discussion, and the market returns, the activity returns, these guys are going to crush it. Well, that's the kind of stuff I, I really wanted to get to on this, is because I I think Justin, it was you that said that the industry you know, there's no good metric. Nobody was doing it. There's a lot of, you know, look, we, you know, we know a lot of these people in this business and they're phenomenal people, right? I mean, they're, they're top to bottom, great people. And one of the things about the oil field that I think people would on the, the outside looking in, say it's the wild west. It's not the wild west. I mean, this isn't whatever year you want to tag the wild west to, right? The guys that you're talking about, th that's the part that I'm most interested in is uh, uh, Kevin, you were saying one of the things that I'm, I'm, that I'm fearful, I don't know if the right word is, I, that I don't want to see happen is the guys at the field level that have worked there for 20, 30 years that don't get as much credit as they should, that do things right, they're safe, they don't let anybody get hurt. You know, uh, all joking aside, I put a picture of me on a forklift the other day up online and I got more negative comments because I wasn't wearing the seatbelt. And and I, I would, I, later I'm thinking to myself, that nobody would have said that to me 15 years ago. Yeah. And everybody all my oil field friends, you know, were like, you're not wearing a, your seatbelt on the forklift. What are you doing? And I, and they were being serious. Like, get off the damn forklift. Seatbelt, hard hat, and, and probably one of those, like, blow-up sumo wrestling outfits <laughs> just because. <laughs> well, I mean, you're right. I mean, let's face it. Uh, you around equipment is a is a dangerous thing. I'm the guy you're trying to protect. In, in fact, you I would love to come see your equipment. You're never going to let me out there. So just give me a send me a good video at some point. But you know, but I know there's guys that don't get enough credit out there that are doing things the right way all the time. And to hear that it's being, uh, you know, professionalized in a way that the the next 22 to 23 year old guy or girl coming up is going to be safe. But, 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 but before you get it, and I think you're going to address this, but the interesting thing is these folks, if they don't know how to do it, they want to do it. And they also want to be in an environment where they're working with other people that are doing things. Yeah, the right everybody way. wants to go home with all their fingers. Because it can be a hazardous environment yeah. if you're surrounded by people that either don't care about their job or not competent in their job. And that's 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 a big deal. So anyways, 
Justin, we jump in. Yeah, no, look, you guys are hitting all the points. Uh, First off, our people are our most important assets, you know, and um, there's no shortage of, uh, you know, sayings out there in the oil field, um, which we don't like, you know. Uh, calling them hands, uh, for instance, you know, uh, at its foundation, instead of calling them employees and, uh, you know, valuable employees at that. Uh, These guys are um, hard to uh, recruit. They are hard to train. Uh, They're hard to retain. And their job, uh, and and I think they often get looked at as uh, expendable commodities. They are anything but that for those reasons I just mentioned. And also there's a physicality of their work. You know, we're in a nice HVAC controlled environment. And most days, Kevin and I get to be in that environment. And these guys are in the elements, you know, eight to 14 hour a day shifts doing a job that has a physicality to it. But uh, more important than that, um, they're solving problems out there. You know, the most junior guy out there is solving problems out there every single day at the wellhead. And often those problems are tough problems. So, um, again, we, you know, we, we recognize it all and it wasn't anything that was, you know, you know, mind numbing. But when I uh, was forewarned of the hazard in the space, you know, before I started on this uh, journey, you know, it became very clear to me early on that, you know, the hazard was everything as advertised, you know, you know, arguably the most hazardous, you know, corner of the oil field. But to me, the risk was not the, 100 ton McKissick blocks flying within inches of your face or the colorless odorless gases or working under a suspended load uh, you know, for your entire shift and on and on I could rattle off. Uh, it was that the competency management of the entire sector maybe wasn't where it needed to be. And so you could have 20 plus years experience, but was it good experience? You know, were you trained the right way to do it? Because it's, it's all verbal, you know, uh, pass down. It's all OJT and OJT is wonderful yeah. and there's no uh, substitute for experience. Um, but, you know, are they passing down the right way? And is it, um, you know, is it quality controlled across the workforce? And uh, that's where I felt like we had the most work to do. And, you know, as any good uh, or any officer will tell you, uh, if you have a tough mission and we were starting to form a real tough mission for ourselves, you have to get a good NCO to help you out. <laughs> and so uh, I found the best one out there. And um, and when he came to me, as he mentioned a, 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 a moment ago, I said, you know, how do how do you want me to build a competency management system when there's no doctrine? I said, well, go build the doctrine. And so he got, you know, five, seven 20, 30 plus well serv- you know, well servicing guys from big companies, small companies together a few years ago and started having these uh, forums to get together and just organize the data, you know, organize and scope out the mission. Uh, and, and like you said a minute ago, we started with 50 or so unique skill sets and now we're up to 306 and how do you, and how do you uh, take the word culture and fit it into that? I mean, where does, where does that word fit? Uh, it, it, it's all about the culture. Right. And, and what I mean by that is uh, there's a, a ton of parallels between the oil field and the military. You know, we got people working in austere locations in small teams deployed to places away from their families. You know, it's a, it's exact parallels. And so the military has had thousands of years to perfect that system and, and how you develop and put that culture around that. And so we're trying to take some of those lessons learned and just apply it to this space. You know, we we have seen what works out there and 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 how you can uh, uh, get the highest potential out of the uh, people that work for you and, and give them opportunity at the same time. Help them get better. Right. You know, make them uh, give them opportunities to to build wealth for their family that they otherwise wouldn't have. You know, typically and it, and I haven't been all over the oil field. I'm not saying all companies, but typically, you know, those guys are hired on to work on that rig and until they retire, die or, or 
you know, quit, quit. Yeah. And so, uh, or you know, hurt. what or hurt. Yeah. And so, you know, giving them an opportunity to advance themselves, that give them a potential for a career that they wouldn't otherwise have, you know, are, are things that are very passionate to me and sure. being able to do that. So we're just getting started too what, with this. What, how many uh, former military people do you guys, is that something you focus on hiring? Yeah, we, uh, you know, 200,000 or so veterans get out of the service every year. Um, we have had a number of initiatives over the last couple of years to get some of those guys into our organization. We've partnered up with some some great folks here, you know, here in the Houston community, combined arms and, and, and so forth. You got Professor Culpepper on board now. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we've, so I've got a 25 year uh, retired uh, SEAL Master Chief next to me and, we, and we've got a, a 30 year uh you know, uh, retired SEAL Master Chief in the organization as our director of training too. Wait, I, real quick, you said two hundred thousand get out of the military yeah. over here. So I want to, I want the audience to hear that. And and what's the organization you mentioned? Combined Arms. Combined Arms. Yeah. Is that that's a Com Houston? Yeah. So Combined Arms is like the umbrella organization, and underneath Combined Arms, there are a number of kind of specialist. Uh, organizations underneath that. It's a phenomenal organization. Uh, John uh, uh, Borschler uh, runs. Is he, he's run, yeah. Anyways. He's over combined arms now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I just want to make sure the audience Google, hears Google, that. Yeah. Google combined arms if you're listening to this. We need, to get John, we need to get John on here in that organization anyway. Yeah. Okay. I think it'd be and, good and to the, talk about. the organization under combined arms that focuses on veteran hiring is called Next Stop. Yeah. Next and Op. Yep. OP. Okay. In the oil field. Yeah. They, okay. Uh, yeah. They, they, they started up uh, and their objective, um, um, Doug Fauché started that organization, and the objective at the time was to get veteran, homeless veterans off the street of Houston, um, and was very successful at doing that, and then uh, formed the uh, 501c3 and has continued that mission in getting veterans jobs so that we don't have veterans on the street. Okay. So it's a, it's a great, great. Love it. There's love a it. lot of similarities uh, between the oil field uh, service and, and some MOSs and military service. And as, as we think about hiring veterans, you know, the, the veterans are a cross section of America, you know, come from all walks of life. There's a lot of acronyms going on here. I'm trying to keep MOS and <laughs> uh, sorry. NCOs. Uh, and I, I, I'm picking up you, as you're talking, I'm like, okay, what could that possibly mean? <laughs> yeah, I apologize. No, uh, yeah. We, uh, but um, basically, uh, you know, when we send a, a workover rig out, uh, a pooling unit, you know, we've got a, a million plus of replacement kit. It's a hazardous environment. And we've got a four or five man team out on their own, you know, often in, in, in the middle of nowhere. Um, a lot of similarities between that type of operation and uh, certain service lines, uh, you know, from military service. And so um, we try to uh, look for the, the guys that come from the right backgrounds and are going to have a greater chance to succeed in this tough uh, line of work. Uh, but, you know, across the oil field and, and having been in some different corners of it, you know, veterans are a great hiring you know, can be a great hiring pool. And, and so we encourage all of our, uh, you know, customers, friends, competitors to, uh, you know, look at the various organizations that are out there trying to employ them. Well, yeah, I think there's an appreciation for, for order and process, which to Kevin's point, not having necessarily to reinvent the wheel, but apply it in this, in this, in this setting. So I think that's an interesting parallel when you talk about, you know, kind of special operations missions, small groups, very similar to various service lines going out in the field, you know, anywhere from two to call it eight man teams that are going to remote locations and stuff. Talk talk about that in the context of the parallels between like a special operations op and and that in the terms of the the pre planning, the execution of the mission, being prepared to 
act somewhat autonomously within the the confines of what you have authority to do to accomplish the mission safely and then get back out. Can you yeah. talk about that? A quick word from our sponsors, and then we're right back to the show. Prang & Associates, the global energy search leader. Prang & Associates is the world's leading executive search firm totally dedicated to the energy industry. Over our 39 years, we have assisted more than 750 management teams and boards in 75 countries and conducted nearly 3,600 engagements. For more information, please visit prang.com. Daniel Energy Partners, in-basin research you can trust. A leading provider of U.S. oil field research, known for its original boots-on-the-ground research approach, as well as its famous barbecue events. Daniel Energy Partners utilizes both its extensive network of top oil field professionals and frequent in-basin field tours to provide real-time market intelligence. Visit DanielEP.com for more information. Galtway Marketing. Answer this question. What makes your company different? You have seven seconds to catch a customer's attention. Galtway Marketing can build your brand and craft your message for maximum impact across all your marketing efforts. Visit galtwaymarketing.com slash 0360 to bring your company into the 21st century. Thank you to our sponsors. And now back to the show. Yeah, well, so it's, you know, in oil field services and sending these guys out, these guys have a number of hazardous situations they have to deal with every day. They've got to make decisions, as Justin alluded to earlier. They're making decisions all the time. How do I prevent that well from blowing out? How do I do this? How do I do that? How do I keep my people safe? You know, which is really exactly the same thing that a leader does in the SEAL team when they're out on a mission. You know, you're, you're thinking about your people and how you execute the mission. They're, the, our leaders are doing the same thing. Our crew chiefs on a rig, that's what his job is. Is reason we quit calling them operators and we call them crew chiefs because if, if I need somebody to operate the rig, that's all he's going to do. I need somebody to lead the men out there in that crew to do it safely, to do it correctly, and be able to make those good decisions when uh, they don't have direct access to leadership to help them make those decisions. So. So talk about that. I think it's pretty interesting. We we had a conversation the other day, Kevin, about what what you and Ron have been doing and, and the fact you can take somebody who doesn't know anything about well servicing or somebody that thinks they do and start them out and you can show them a career path and you can show them how they how they can basically, you know, climb the ladder to effectively sit in y'all's shoes. Yeah. And it, which I think is pretty cool because I find that lacking in a lot of organizations. It's more political based as opposed to merit based and competency based, which I think is is a pretty neat distinction. So do you mind talking a little bit about that? No, not at all. It, it, in fact, I love talking about it. one of my favorite things is uh, talking about our career path and development. And again, we're, we're just getting started. You know, it's been three years in the build to get here. We uh, have mapped it out through uh, supervisor. Now we have already put the framework together for how you go from a supervisor all the way up to a regional manager. Then we're going to work on directors and above and, you know, kind of SSE, short service employee to CEO and how you get there. And we want to, to provide the education, training, uh, and, and ability for them to achieve that. You know, it's all self-based, uh, self-paced, you know, it's on them to, to take it on and, and do it. And you let the cream rise the crop, pure meritocracy, the harder you work, the more you achieve, the, the better things are for you and the more opportunities you get. Um, but, uh, you know, some of the 
things I was talking about earlier when we were talking about building out our, our competencies and our skill set. You know, it's not that I just have a 40 year guy ride it. It has a, a, a extreme review process and then it has field testing and then comes back and we rewrite it. And we found a number of things that were standard practices in the oil field that after we reviewed them and took a holistic view of it, uh, there were a lot of unsafe things and kind of ended some of those practices and changed our process so that we weren't doing that, you know? So it's, it's, uh, it's been a unique journey. It's been fun. Uh, it's been tough, but, uh, um, you know, investing in these guys and I, I, I don't know if I say this or not, but, uh, you know, I call them my born again, well servicers, you know, they, uh, uh, we've got a few education courses that we send the the leadership to some third party training and education. And, uh, they come out of that completely different. And they're like, I didn't realize what I didn't know. We, we, we got a lot of things to change. And, and I, I love when those guys come out, you know, so yeah. like, all right, tell me about it. You know, so. It's, it's growth. I mean, you're describing both personal growth, which everybody wants to be a part of, right? Nobody just wants to go do the same thing over and over. They want the personal growth, especially today's workforce. But, but it sounds like you're setting up an environment of uh, welcomed continuous improvement. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, look, we, you know, here's another saying for well servicing. I don't care what color the iron is as long as I got my guy and my crew. And look, I've been a customer. So, you know, I've been an EMP. I've been an upstream. I get yeah. that. I fully <laughs> get that. Um, but I think that the, the the color of the iron or the system, the process in this case, it does matter, especially in a hazardous environment. From the top down, you got to have, you know, you got to be aspiring to build an organization that is trying to hold the line and raise the bar and train itself up across the board. So, you, you know, uh, uh, earlier you asked about, you know, culture. There's a lot of things we can talk about. We're obviously trying to build a system and build that system. We're trying to build a, a you know, world-class type system in a tough space. Just so I'm, I'm clear, when you say, you know, they don't care about the color of the iron is that referring to different which service company they're saying if it's this one is the same as the other is that what people are trying to say yeah i i think what um what you will often hear is um uh you know there's a crew you know as long as i got this crew as long as i got uh johnny or jose and his team i don't care what company they're working for i don't care what color the iron is uh that's who i want okay. and i get that because the people are the assets not the iron like I, i'm not i'm not uh debating that but what I'm trying to say is we're trying to build a system where all of our Johnnies and Jose's right. are the best. And you know, when, whether you call us out in North Dakota or you call us out in South Texas, you're getting a guy that has been vetted and is switched on and is, is, is getting trained the right way and how to do something. How often Consistent you, service quality. And how often are you guys out in the field yourselves? Not, 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 not enough. enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, and, uh, you know, one of the mandates I have on all of our directors and above that did not come from the floors like Kevin and I is to get so many days on the floors in a year. And it's surprising because it's a low number, you know, on how many, you know, I'm not saying just flying by in the pickup truck and right. shaking right. some hands and, and stamping something. Yeah. Shaking some hands and giving the 15 minute, you know, corporate, you know, song and dance. I'm talking about work a shift. Mm -hmm. um, and it's surprising how hard it is to find those days. Um, and, and, you know, it's a, you know, it's, it, it's not surprising. The world is very busy. Every, yeah. I mean, cell phones, tablets, computers, travel. You're 
we're doing four to five jobs per person at this point. So it doesn't surprise me. That it's hard to get down there. And, I, and well, that's, that's well, we get to the field a bit, you know, we try to get out there as much. I mean, look, we, we can't, uh, we get, you know, it's a pet peeve of mine, not just for Kevin and I, but down to our regional managers and, and our district managers on the operations side, get out of the office to your point. You know, we all have a lot to do, but we're mobile. You know, we've got a laptop, we've got, you know, Wi-Fi, right. you know, bang out those emails when you're sitting on location and you're at location, you know, our most important leaders are not Kevin and I. They are our crew chiefs and our um, you know senior crew chiefs and our rig supervisors. They are managing our people. They're managing our assets. They're managing our operations, and they're managing the frontline customer relationship. They are the most important leaders in this organization. What kind of technology are you guys using to to be in front of people? Uh, lots of stuff. I mean, we are uh, you know as we talk about technology, we're. we're Zoom way out. First off, we're trying to innovate on two main fronts. Service quality, which we've been talking about thus far, and technology. More specifically in technology, data, data management, uh, data capture. If you can't measure it, you can't fix it. Um, so we are trying to measure uh, all of the data streams internal in our corporation and then cross-link those in a more sophisticated way. And we've got some you know wonderful partnerships to help us with that. Um, and we have started dabbling, um, you know, over the last couple of years, COVID slowed things down a little bit in, um, you know, uh, well site instrumentation, you know, measuring uh, specific job spec uh, at location to drive per, uh, performance improvement and efficiency. Uh, there are some you know, uh, obstacles, uh, including IP that we have to navigate through as we uh, continue that journey. And we're being respectful of all those, of course, but um, it's a, it's a whole nother mountain to summit, which we're super excited about. We're on the, we're on the climb, but we have a long ways to go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was, that was kind of nice segue into why do you guys think you're going to, you're going to build the better platform or have the better platform than the, your competitors? Well, look, I think, um, our mission and our mission statement is on our webpage is a, uh, it's a challenging one. Um, and, um, we're not there yet. You know, we aspire to achieve our mission statement. Uh, and it's, it's wrought with, uh, headwinds, you know, and, and cross currents. Uh, but the, 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 the mission, the challenge is the opportunity. All the challenges in our space are the opportunity in our space. We think it needs to be done. Like we, we can do well servicing a little bit better. It's one of the few spaces that is actually perhaps ripe for innovation, um, and, and service quality and, and data man um, management. And so, uh, whether it's us or somebody else, you know, we believe that the leaders in the space that are able to accomplish that mission or a mission just like it, uh, have market share to go grab and regardless of what the market is and, and, and it is throwing at us. Yeah. I, I often say if it's not hard to do, it's not worth doing. So I applaud you guys for that. And clearly, um, y'all, y'all can see a challenge and, and figure out how to, how to overcome it. Why do you think, um, this, this opportunity has been created? Why do you think people have not, um, uh, engaged in the way you guys are, are doing it now sooner? So I don't know the exact reason, uh, but from what I've seen since I've been in the oil field for now seven years, which is a microcosm to, you know, really everybody that uh, works for us in the oil field and works with us, you know, they've all been in this for years and years. But uh, uh, the common theme that continues to come up, well, this is how we've always done it. Why that is, I don't know. Um, uh, maybe it's just uh, there's never been a culture of, uh, all right. Uh, and I'll take this from the SEAL teams. The only easy day was yesterday, you know, is a term that we always use, which meant you had to improve your position every day. Every day you were trying to do something better. And so uh, I, I think a lot of people have been satisfied with where they're at and this is how we've always done it. So I'm not, but I'm not sure if that I, really I, answers I'll tell you right now, one of the things you said a minute ago, Justin, that kind of struck me was 
referring to them as hands. Hands are commodities. Hands are things you can go get another, well, I mean, not, not physically, obviously, but you can go get another person, a body. And these aren't bodies. That, that you know, Juan and John go home to Mary and Maria. And they have the juniors and the, and the daughters and the this and the dogs and the family. And, you know, and I think that when we take that responsibility, like, the, you know, we aren't, these aren't hands. These are people with families and lives that we care about. And I think that that's been something that, um, you know, this is the, this is our problem with the entire industry. Um, the, not the industry doesn't tell that story well enough for itself. So, you know, I do think that, uh, some of the, the initiatives that are happening with today and we, we go into the ESGs and the diversity inclusions and et cetera, et cetera. But, but the reality is, is I think people are starting to be valued more across the board. And, you know, I, I don't want to see the people that, that work for you or work for me or whomever, right? I mean, any one of us are listening, you know, there, there should be an emphasis on the companies that put value on people. Absolutely. And, and you think it goes without saying, but, but it know? doesn't, though. But, but we'll, we'll say it nonetheless. Right. Um, yes. Uh, look, I, I said earlier how valuable and important these people are. And it's a small group. You know, it's not an unlimited source. If you think that they're, you know, pre-COVID, there were AESE, EIA, 1300 pulling units running in the U.S. I think it was probably 1700 or more running. But, you know, um, and you do some quick back of the envelope math, you'll realize that there was probably, you know, 10 to 20,000 well-servicing workover rig pulling unit employees, um, you know, working back then, which is a pretty small national pool uh, to pull from when you think about. Um, and, 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 and today we're running, you know, maybe 600, you know, pulling units, uh, give or take. So uh, there, there's that. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right. One of the things that we do is uh, our safety council. Once a month, we do a safety council where we review near misses or incidents from the previous month. And we have a, a, a lot of process around that, as you might imagine. But the first thing we do with, with every uh, time a man is injured uh, is we talk about the man and we, uh, we, we talk about him as a human being. And, you know, we'll tell, you know, and we make the operational leaders talk about the guy that was just hurt on their watch you know, in their chain, of, in their command, you know, maybe he has two daughters and he plays guitar or he used to play guitar before he had a, a finger pinch or what have you, that kind of thing. So it, it drives home for all of our people that, Hey, this is a human being that we just hurt. And that's unacceptable. I think you can run a large scale national franchise, us well servicing and you it, with a lot of rigs out and a lot of man hours, and you can go an entire year without hurting a human being. And people look at me cross-eyed, you know, understandably when I say that, because that is a, that is an expectation and a standard that we have not been able to achieve yet in this, you know, in this industry sector. But I think it's achievable if, if you, if you're learning from, from, uh, mistakes or, or opportunities to improve, plus you're doing things on the front end proactively seeing things, which I, something I think y'all are, y'all are doing and you're developing people with skill sets that they're competent in and, and, and deploying them and continuously trying to improve the business. And I think, I think that's a critical differentiation to Josh's point. I think if you look at the well servicing industry as a whole, and you talk about all the M&A activity, you've got a lot of folks that are really smart folks that really don't appreciate or understand the nuance of 
the people and, and and really what's at hand. And they just assume, well, they can slap this stuff together and kind of do some lipstick on the pig integration type uh, work. And uh, then you see this massive amount of capital pulling this stuff together. And then they're bankrupt in a few years because they hadn't really focused on uh, what really ultimately drives performance. And that is the people. And I truly believe when we've had this conversation a number of times that this kind of focus will allow you guys to be uh, not only successful, but sustainable. And that the financial results that everybody would love to see, even in a tough environment like we're in right now, will be there as a result of all this efficiency uh, that you that you have created and all the stuff that that can get you into trouble. Uh, you're you're cutting out of that business, engineering it out of the business, and 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 doing so actively with your folks. I mean, talk a little bit about uh, what I think is cool, what y'all have done from. Uh, you know, your uniforms and, and how you are identifying uh, your guys in the field from a, from a, from a competency level and where they are. I think that's, that's pretty cool. You, we had a nice vignette about that the other day. One of your guys, uh, <laughs> y'all, y'all are having to make some uniform changes, I think. Well, so, you know, uh, like I said, our focus has been on training these guys to be leaders out there, you know, accountability, responsibility in that you, you got to have ways of recognizing them. And so uh, uh, we created a, a rank insignia for, for the guys in the oil field with numbers of years that they're, they've been in the oil field service. And so they get to put those on and the crew chiefs have a emblem on their sleeve and then your, your crew member ones and twos, you know, they have a, a different emblem, but it, you know. It, so just for the audience that can't uh, see what he's talking about it's, it's almost military it's, it's military as yeah. rank insignias you know i mean the, the, we're not the smart par- enough to come up with any yeah. new ideas <laughs> we just take the ideas that we learned he, as young men to his arm. he's pointing to his arm field. saying you know, there, there'll be a, a line there and then also a patch perhaps on the arm on the yeah. upper arm okay. yeah on the patch on the upper arm and uh it was uh, it was kind of funny when we first put them out. We we issued them out to the guys, and uh, uh, they would take that shirt home and wash it every day so they could wear it the next day. You oh, know? I so love it! it. it was, what a that awesome? That's awesome! Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. Didn't make the damn. Uh, that's cool. That's a cool story. <laughs> yeah. Didn't make the uniform people happy to hear that. They <laughs> <laughs> well, they were wearing them out quicker, so yeah, they, they yeah. weren't. <laughs> Listen, that's a great reason to wear them out. Yeah. That's a pride that that that's cool. Very good story. So we are uh, the time. We've got plenty of time here, but I I want to kind of shift just a, a hair to, um, I'm going to give you a minute here to prepare because I want to, I want to know a cool story that you said could only come out with Fletch Ezel tequila. <laughs> <laughs> but so we're going to ask you one that's happened to you that you would like to share that we could hear the audience might enjoy. But, uh, it, Justin, for you, I want to know, um, we, we peak very high in the entrepreneur category for podcasts. We peak high in all of them, but we seem to peak the highest in that. Uh, what is it like being an entrepreneur, uh, finally from the military to, you know, these large investment banks to an EMP to now you're an entrepreneur. How did, how, what are some of the stories that you can share with us Yeah, or uh, feelings? Sure. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, you gotta be a, a glutton for punishment, you know, uh, and, um, uh, you know, so many old sayings from past lives and past careers, uh, come to mind, uh, with that question. Uh, one of which from a, a SEAL master chief, a different SEAL master chief was, uh, that I learned very early is if you're going to be stupid, you better be strong, which is a, a whole nother, uh, <laughs> which is a whole nother, uh, uh, line, great. line right there. But no, look, I, I'd, I'd like to fancy myself an energy entrepreneur, uh, for the last 10 years or so. I'm super passionate about the space. And that's the first thing you got to be passionate about what you're doing. I want to reduce, I want to help reduce our reliance on foreign bar- barrels of oil. I'd much rather send, um, 
Americans to work in the oil field than to, you know, work in the battlefield to protect those same interests. And, uh, I, you know, I can get on my soapbox about that uh, again. Um, so you have to be passionate about what you're doing, uh, seek, uh, you know, I think uh, some sense of higher purpose in what you're doing. And hopefully for the listenership, if there's anybody still listening, we're all part of that, you know, important machine, you know, whether you're operating in a small family owned well servicing company or a large, you know, major independent upstream company and everybody in between, we are all, you know, you know, we have gone from whatever it is, you know, seven, eight million barrels a day up to, you know, as much as, you know, 15 and, and, you know, back down over the last you know year. But we have uh, meaningfully shifted the game uh, in our favor. And uh, that's important. I'm proud to be part of that and the handful of organizations I've been in. And so you got to be passionate. Um, you have to build an investment thesis. It has to make sense. <laughs> you have to get uh, other people on board. You have to build consensus and, and folks um, and uh, inspire a little bit of confidence. And then you just have to work your, your, work your butt off. You know, uh, when we put this thing together, I had one employee and that was me and, um, you know, trying to play lawyer and I'm a terrible lawyer and uh, try to play, uh, you know, banker and deal negotiator. And I'm not much better at that. Um, you know, you have to, you know, in 2016, I didn't take any days off, you know, except for the birth of my daughter. Um, uh, you know, once I left my last uh, organization, including weekends and uh, looked at a lot of things and just, you know, uh, you know, worked my butt off to get this together and, and everything. And remember, everything always starts small. You know, where we started to where we are today is is a long way. Now we're the the fourth largest well servicing company and the, and the largest private of over 200. And that happened in, in, in about three years. And that's wow. kind of like being one of the tallest little people in the room, by the way, you know, it's not a, uh, it's not something to shoot for. And it's, <laughs> Absolutely. It's, 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 it's nothing it's to impressive. say wow about either. You know, it's, it's, um, we never wanted to be the biggest. We want to be the best. Right. And, you know, we're just on, on that journey. Um, so entrepreneurship is passion and it's work ethic. And, and, he, and here's the most important thing, uh, if it's not obvious, it's surround yourself by people that are more experienced and smarter than you. And I've actually made an entire uh, career out of that in a bunch of different jobs, just surrounding myself by people that are uh, way better than me. And I have to, I'd be totally remiss and I'm embarrassed that we've gone an hour now and I haven't said this name. That's great. Keep it going. I, no, I, I've said, I haven't said this name, which is Gary Olaf. Gary Olaf is uh, my capital partner, my friend, my mentor. He's the executive chairman of Brigade. And he's a 40-year well-servicing guy um, that, uh, you know, I've learned so much from and as have as Kevin and so many other leaders in our organization. There is no substitute for experience. And you got to surround yourself by those guys to, to learn those lessons from. Well, just for the record, I have to say, because we do promise our sponsors that 80% of our audience listens to almost the entire show. So they're definitely still listening. They, yeah, are, they have good. not tuned out. This has been a, quite the entertaining show. So. Yeah. Kevin, we gave you some time there. Give us something good. So the story you want to hear. So I, it's actually going to be an oil field story. Okay. Yeah. So uh, when I first uh, uh, got into the oil field and and was asked to help improve this uh, safety record, uh, I I told my CEO at the time, I'm like, uh, I'm I'm not sure how to do that. And then what I mean by that is that I was successful in the SEAL teams because I did every job all the way up. You know, I worked every position and and learned them all. And I knew how to help the guys and how to meet the challenges. I say, so I said, I need to go work in the oil field, need to go work on the rigs. And he's like, you want to go work on the rigs? I was like, yeah, I need to. And he just, okay, go work on the rigs. So I spent the next six months working on the rigs. But uh, first couple rigs that I went out to, you know, the the district manager would go out to location with me and it was, it was uh, almost this canned event. All right, let him, let him get up and run the tongs. It's like, no, no, no. Push the button. I, I'm, I'm here to work a shift. I'm here to learn and see what these guys are doing. And uh, um, did a, got a few days in and, and uh, was able to do that. 
And then they asked me, one of the district managers asked me, because she, you want to go work at the Derricks? I was like, absolutely. So uh, in my SEAL career, I, I was a, a vertical assault instructor, which meant I could pretty much climb anything from a side of a ship to a cliff. This is cliff. why you're sitting on that side of the yeah. room, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> sea cliff, whatever. And and so I had a lot of climbing experience uh, with that both day and night and everything else. And uh, I went up in that derrick and understanding fall factors and everything else. Uh, and really, uh, it was kind of a terrible system. But uh, I had to do three transfers behind my back uh, just to get out to the diving board where I was at the time, and I hate to say this, using fall restraint for fall protection. Um, of the and, securement point. Yeah, of a securement, which was two encapsulated cables that were wrapped around the handrail um, tied below my foot level with me on the end of the diving board. And the the encapsulated uh, plastic on the cables was broken off in a number of places and the cables were rusted. And uh, um, I... Went up there, worked my shift up in the derricks, and I came back down. The district manager said, well, what'd you think? I said, that was knowingly one of the most dangerous things I've ever done. Wow. <laughs> really? Yeah. And I knew it was dangerous. I knew what I was doing was dangerous. Unfortunately, I had to learn, sure. you know, what the challenges Gave were. And some so, perspective. <laughs> yep. And so following that. Because uh, the guy behind you may not know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They may not understand fall factor. And so and and I don't, I don't, it's, it's representative of the space. I, I, mean, I, I was like, it was a random rig and a random location on a random day. Now there are some companies that have made progress. You know, I'm not, you know, we're not here to, you know, be in the glass house throwing stones and we're, and we're not perfect. We're aspiring to be something and we're on that journey. Uh, and there are other companies that have made progress, but, um, you know, we're trying to accelerate. Yeah. I think there's, there's, there's definitely a, a focus and I've seen this, you know, of the privilege of, of working with a lot of your peers and, and there certainly is improvement, but I think what's interesting is that there is, there seems to be from my perspective, really good communication from the field to the top and from the top to the field and that y'all are good at communicating what the objectives are and what you're hoping to accomplish and everybody, you've got an environment where you're communicating about the challenges and what you need to do to improve it. And and I think that's critical. And and it's 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 a it's a it's a very simple concept. Obviously, it's anything worth doing is going to be challenging, but um, but you got to do it. <laughs> and there's some folks that they they either don't know how to get started or they they prioritize some other things. It's just been really interesting to watch, and I applaud you guys for it because um, the reality is there, energy is not a binary discussion. We do need oil and gas. Y'all are a critical component of it. You know, you're involved in, in the completion of the well all the way to the end of the life activities, and most importantly, you know, keeping that well flowing, which, um, which is, a, is a critical thing. Uh, particularly in a in a low-cost environment that we have and people are trying to figure out where to put their capital to work. They need to spend that capital efficiently. They need you guys to help them do it, and for you guys to stay afloat and provide, you know, uh, a nice income to your to your employees, and and actually turn a profit. You got to figure out how to do that efficiently and safely. And I don't think a lot of folks really think about all the the some of the parts and how critical that is. And and a lot of them die deaths by a thousand cuts. And I think y'all are putting. Band-Aids and super glue and and Kevlar over over all those cuts with training and and uh, and culture building, which is just cool to see. But we're trying these 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 industry turns have set much of our um, you know our sector back. 
as, yeah. as other sectors. You know, we, we were north of a thousand employees. We're south of 500 employees, which is heart wrenching. It's heartbreaking. You know, this is my, um, you know, this is a, uh, this is a, the, the, the granddaddy of all downturns over the last, uh, you know, eight months that we've had here. And, um, and those are, you know, those 500 people are all, you know, wonderful people yeah. that we hate to lose and we might not ever get back. Um, and so all the progress that we made on the, any progress that we made on any of those 500 or so people, it's lost. That's an investment that's lost and it's a real investment. And so that is, you know, one of the inherent challenges of, you know, you know, U.S. oil and gas right. is companies that make progress get set back and have to start from scratch. But you have to be persistent. You have to, you know, be resilient and press on. What's been some of the feedback you've received from customers? You don't necessarily need to name names, uh, but um, obviously when y'all are going and talking to them about trying to get a contract with them, MSA, um, what's been the feedback, uh, you know, is it in regards to, to you all versus the other folks that they could choose to work with? I think, uh, you know, feedback a year ago to feedback now is, uh, completely different, you know? So a year ago, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Another group coming in saying they're going to do this stuff. And, uh, but the feedback I get now is like, wow, you guys really are doing this, aren't you? And it's like, yep, yeah, we're not there yet. Yeah. You know, we still got a lot of work to do. We got a lot of things to still accomplish, but yeah, we're staying focused on our mission and, and we're going to achieve it. And, uh, and I, I hear from even some of our competitors, you know, that uh, our customers talking about us and that, uh, you know, they, what we're getting done. So yeah. it's, a, it's pretty interesting. But something tells me you're never going to be finished, though, nope. with, nope. with the mission. Yeah. yeah the only yeah, easy I, day was yesterday. My, so. uh, my, my, our wonderful uh, partners and sponsors at Turnbridge Capital Partners out of Dallas and Houston. Um, uh, hopefully I'm not uh, um, disclosing any state secrets here, but... Um, uh, a few board meetings ago, um, one of them was pressing me on that, you know, well, you know, when are you going to be done? You know, when do you, when do you, uh, you know, essentially when do you summit this, uh, this, these mountains that you're climbing? And, um, he, you know, my answer was not what he wanted to hear. <laughs> you know, it was, it was well outside the reasonable range of a private equity, you know, return expectation. Um, but, um, it, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't surprised to hear me say that, you know, it, to your point, it is living, breathing, it's never ending. The JAGs that are already, you know, the jo job aid guys that are already uh, approved and finalized, we had to go back and edit those things, um, you know, um, and it was the same in the service, you know, the doctrine is always being, you know, updated, the tactics are always being evolved. Uh, and there's a lot of different things that can drive that. Um, and so the same thing is here, you know, we're on, we're on the march, you know, and we are making progress. We try to, you know, uh, advance every week. I mean, if this is, <laughs> it, it's, I love how clearly just military, I mean, every, I'm, from the acronyms to we're marching and, you know, the objectives and the, I mean, it's just amazing. Like this, this is pervasive throughout the entire organization. Like you are, this is what's happening. I love it. You, it's just so apparent what's coming off you guys. Well, uh, t 25 years or 12 years yeah. as a young man will, you know, indoctrinate you in, 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 in certain things that are hard to shake, uh, I will say. But um, we, we try, you know, yeah. like you have to have a mission statement. You have to have a commander's intent. And that has to make its way down throughout the ranks. I can tell you that when, when I started four years ago, almost, it was just me talking yeah. and trying to build some consensus and trying to get 
a believer. And, you know, today I don't have it to a man across our, you know, uh, 450 or so employees. I can't solidly, you know, stand here and say to a man, we're all marching to the, you know, the the same sheet of music, so to speak. Uh, But I know that through my, uh, through, you know, through our VPs, through our directors, through our regional and area managers, through our district managers, to most of our rig soups and senior crew chiefs, we're there. And uh, not all of our rig soups and senior crew chiefs, but most of them. And to that next layer and layer, it depends on, depends on the, uh, the, the small unit depends, you know, on the, uh, the region, the area. And that's a big thing. We've said it now a couple of times culturally because it takes years and, and maybe, you know, unending years to build this system that we're, we're trying to speak about, you know, what else can you do to move the needle today and tomorrow? Because our customers don't have 10 years for us to wait to build the system. And so we, um, we knowingly and deliberately attacked leadership. We had to attack leadership because we believe that leadership is the key to success in any organization. And it is the force multiplier. So if you can get those next layer of leaders and the next layer and the field leaders uh, on board or partially or fully on board, then they can start moving the needle before the whole system is built. And, uh, and so we do a lot of, tr- you know, unique training on our leadership, uh, as, as low a level as we can do and afford to start, uh, you know, building that momentum. Why do you think organizations are fearful of investing in, in their people the way you guys are and, and, and showing them how you can start at the top or start at the bottom and go all the way to the top if you want to, provided you can show the the, the skills well, and the competency. Well, well, for the obvious reason, you know, as, as, as some of our, um, you know, good competitors have experienced over many, many years is you make the investment and then, you know, you lose the employee because they get poached. Um, and, uh, sh- sure. Like we've, we face that and, you know, we've hired employees from other companies. We try not to ever poach crews and stuff like that. That's a big thing that we try not to do, but I, I can't say that we have never done that in any nook and cranny of our business. Uh, even though we, we actively try not to. Um, and so, and that's a, that's a good concern, you know, <laughs> invest all this training and, and dollars and resource only to right when you get them to the point you want them or almost to the point you want them to have them poached away for a dollar more an hour. But uh, the way we look at it, and, and we know that the way we look at it is fine. You know, it's the cost of doing business, you know, for us in this downturn training, it, training is normally one of the first things to go. For us, it's the last thing to go. It's going to be the last thing to go, uh, as, you know, as much as we can allow that. And so, um, if we fast forward, say, say, fast forward to success, to closer to mission accomplishment, if you go years down the road and we have, um, trained many of our competitors, that's okay. If everybody understands that, well, they came out of brigade, they came out of a good system and that gives them a leg up and, and that makes them employable. And as they move on in their careers, and maybe many of them will move on to our customers. That's also a good thing for us. You know, we're, we're playing a long game, not a short game. It's, it's never a bad deal to, to leave it better than you found it. Yes, sir. So, so we've talked about, we've talked about people and culture, which is critically important, but also though they are showing up to a location with equipment. Let's talk about equipment and what y'all are doing there, both from improvements without giving away any secret sauce, 
as well as uh, what y'all are doing, which I enjoy seeing, uh, which is pretty cool. And I, was, I think I was talking to Kevin about the other day, you know, like, you know, if it gets really tough, you could just sell tickets to people uh, as ancillary revenue and have them, you know, come carve up old equipment. So let's talk about that. <laughs> uh, you get the dinosaur decommissioning. Oh, program, man. So. I'm, I'm, I'm hogging the mic. What else is new? Um, we, we have a bet, by the way. Too, uh, so. Yeah, I'm losing horribly. <laughs> Who is going to get more airtime? And, uh, uh, I'm going to edit it out. I'll, I would have. Yeah, I, I, I even ceded two thirds to yeah, him. I was the already handicapped, and I'm still going to lose this Yeah. Um, quickly on the latter part of your question, uh, I think there's, and and don't, you know, th- this is not an exact number. I think there's probably 4,000 or, 4, or so polling units in the U.S., regardless of how many are active. And we talked about those active numbers earlier. Um, and many of those, are, you know, most of the workover rig pulling units in the U.S. were manufactured in the 70s and then the 80s. And um, even today, even over the, you know, the boom that, you know, we had a number of years ago, still most of the rigs out there in the oil field are, uh, you know, 40 plus year vintage rigs. And there's um, a handful of problems with that. Uh, one is spec, you know, is the spec of the rig of um, yesterday's vertical, the same spec that we need today for the modern, uh, you know, unconventional? Uh, the answer normally is no. Uh, you need a little bit more uh, mass tight or hook load. Um, but the, the bigger, but, but we had, you know, we certainly had uh, class four class, you know, uh, rigs, uh, 500 series, 600 series rigs in the 70s and 80s. And so the bigger problem is uh, more about maintenance and capital reinvestment. And have these rigs been uh, one in a system and a process that is well maintaining them and in businesses that have uh, the margin and the leadership to capitally invest in the equipment to ensure that it's safe. Uh, the iron can last, you know, many more years than the accountants will depreciate it only if in the right system and, and, and appropriately capitally maintained, which more often than not, given cycle turns and, and, and business turns has not been there. And so uh, what we have is we have a lot of antiquated and undercapitally invested and ultimately unsafe iron that is out in the space. Um, and unfortunately, in our space, more often than not, companies, big, medium and small, public and private, often push that uh, uh, iron uh, out back out into the market. They sell it at auction um, where it gets picked up by, um, you know, potentially small independents for, you know, a fraction of the replacement, you know, a small fraction of the replacement costs, or it gets traded in as, as credits into some of our vendors. And our vendors are, you know, the valued vendors. You know, our business does not exist with the, without the folks that, you know, provide the rigs and the, the equipment to us um, for trade-in value for, for new iron of some kind. And I think that's one of the flaws of our system. You know, people say well servicing is low barriers to entry. I disagree with that fundamentally on a bunch of different fronts. One of them is right here, capital, you know, reinvestment, capital intensity. Um, if we stop pushing this old, antiquated, un- underspecked, underinvested, unsafe equipment back out amongst ourselves, um, then um, we can kind of do a lot to clean up the space. And so that's a long-winded way, as usual, of saying that uh, you know, here at Brigade, our our effort is called our Dinosaur Decommissioning Project. You can find a link to it on our webpage. And as I as I said recently on, on another event, it, it kind of brings out the five year old boy in you to watch giant machines tear up other giant machines. Yeah. You know, it's, it's literally dinosaurs eating dinosaurs. And um, you know, we shoot we shoot these videos. We we at one point we had over two hundred rigs. Today we have about one hundred seventy. At some point we'll get down to about one hundred forty, one hundred fifty workover rigs with our existing fleet. And that's because we are not selling not trading in, not pushing this dangerous iron out into the market. Of life. We're killing it. Okay. Well, speaking of killing it, you guys have killed it. I now have to begin the killing of this interview. 
and wind this thing down a little bit. But we we tend to end with uh, a couple different ways. Uh, number one, how much fun is this? Isn't telling your story to this is going worldwide. This is going nationwide, worldwide. It's it's a fun medium for telling a story. And I, I'm glad that you guys came. I know that David's been very excited about this interview. But uh, one of the things that we kind of took, talked about off air at the beginning was people don't get 30 to 45 minutes or however long it's even been on this one uh, with you guys. Is there a piece of wisdom or advice that you would share with your younger 20 year old, 20 years ago self or a person that's coming into the oil field now or going to the military now that's going to hear this that you would impart? on them. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to start with you, but then I want to, I want to end with Kevin, if that's okay, Justin. Absolutely. So, that's, that's a way better way to have the cleanup hitter go yeah. less. Um, uh, how much time do we have left to give my 20 year old self advice? I mean, <laughs> <Yes>. you know, <laughs> I, uh, where do I begin? Uh, look, um, I would, I would say, uh, work your butt off and do the right thing. Okay. And, um, you know, I think uh, integrity is, is the most important skill set. It requires uh, zero, uh, intellectual horsepower. Um, but, you know, regardless of what the world throws at you, try, aspire to do the right thing and work your butt off and uh, the rest will work itself out. That's fantastic advice, actually. That's great. What was the, the one thing you said earlier? It's better to be hardworking if you're stupid. I, if, if you're going to be stupid, you better be strong. <laughs> That's great. Okay. All right, Kevin, sir, please. Uh, well, Justin really stole my thunder there. I was like, I'm going to throw this one out. But, uh, uh, you know, so. Well, you say enough words. He's going to take all of them. Here, I know. So he's he's yeah. got you today. I'm just, I've been stealing his material all day. <laughs> um, so one of the things that uh, we, we try to uh, aspire and what I would tell myself early on, you know, is one never loses the ability to lead, never jeopardize your ability to lead. And, uh, and to do that, you, to be a leader, we're all leaders at different parts of the organization. If you get two guys out there, one guy's the leader, right? And so never lose your ability to lead. How do you do that? It's by being legal, moral, and ethical in each one of your decisions. Um, and, uh, as Justin was talking about the integrity of that, uh, is critical and key. And, and, um, I had a point now. Well, no, I, just, listen, I, I want to the, the never lose your ability to lead. And, and what you're saying is don't disqualify yourself. Don't compromise yourself. That's that's great, too. I've never heard it said to that effect. I mean, it makes sense. Well, there, there are two ways to lead. And you alluded to this earlier with your, your dad and discussions prior to. But uh, first, you can get people to follow you or through tyranny. The, the first one works a little better than the second one. But uh, uh, a lot of times uh, people fall back to tyranny and just because I told you so. Uh, one of the other things is, uh, and I learned this at, at fairly young age, but if I was, I didn't learn it at 20, but, uh, always know the reasons why, if you know why you're doing something, then you can be innovative. You can adapt, you can change, you can make it better. If you just do it because this is how I was told to do it and you don't understand the whys behind it, you can't be innovative. All you can do is duplicate it in that environment. I mean, I'm writing this down as you uh, talk. That is a, that's a great way of saying, you know, don't compromise yourself. Don't lose your ability to lead. People do take them out and take themselves out of it sometimes with, with certain decisions. That's, that's very good advice to be passed on. I like it. So, uh, okay. I've got a couple notes here too. So it's brigadeenergyservices.com. Is that correct? Okay. Um, anything else you guys want to share about the company and what's going on? Tell your people hello. Cause they're listening. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I mentioned it earlier, but, um, the most important people in our organization are in the field. Right now, we've got, you know, 300, 350 or so folks working right now in the field in a tough environment. And um, they are making it happen uh, every day. And so 
our job, Kevin and my job, you know, our customers are actually them. You know, we are here to support them. They are here to work for, you know, our, our uh, upstream customers out there. Um, it is our, uh, our passion and our mission to uh, humbly advance the well servicing space. We're working hard at it, uh, you know, across the country uh, right now and every day. Um, you know, our, our, our customers, you know, haven't been there. They have a tough world. They have a tough environment right now. And uh, lots of forces conspiring against us all. And so we feel their pain. And we're trying to do everything that we've been talking about and more. And, and not at a huge premium pricing. You know, we understand the, uh, the cash margin, you know, demands, the pricing demands on our customers. And it's the right thing to do. And we're trying to play the long game to grab market share over time. We don't need to grab it in the short term when they're in the pain. And so to our people, you know, keep at it. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the, the wonderful job, uh, the hard work uh, and, and the progress that you're making every day. And also to our customers, you know, thank you for uh, giving us a shot. And if you're not our customer, uh, Please uh, check us out. Give us a call. We'd uh, we'd love to uh, have an opportunity to uh, excel with that's, you. That's excellent, David. You you were excited about this. I see why. Yeah, this was great. Yeah, these are two impressive guys, and they've got a they've got uh, clear objectives, and it's been fun watching them. Jonathan, how do we sound up. back there? Everything's good. See, look at that, Jonathan, the man in the, the in the booth, just keeps us. Keeps Thank us you honest. so much for having us on and giving us the platform today. Oh, I really listen, appreciate we, it. We and love it. Congrats on your success. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate that. We we have we're having fun. So I always make this joke at the end of these. I say if there if you've enjoyed it, and you have any good mail to send, send it to Josh at oilfill360.com. And if there's any hate mail or complaints, send them to David at David at oilfill360.com. I got an email yesterday <laughs> and it said, Josh, I, you're adamant about only the good emails come to you. And it said, you've done a great job. And it was, it went on and on about how good we are. I forgot to share it with you, but it's not hate mail. So I'm not going to get, See, it's not coming to you. Good stuff. It was great. So Sherry, thank you for sending that. It was uh, a nice little email. I might share it with David here in a minute, but uh, this is going to wrap us up from the uh, Fletch Azul Tequila Podcast Studio on Oilfill 360. This has been fantastic. I've really, I've heard your names for a long time. Um, all good things. Thank you for the service. Thank you for also taking care of our veterans that are coming out. And uh, just anybody that's that's paying attention to this interview, I hope they get a chance to go follow up on some of those websites that we talked about. David, per the usual, excellent job today, sir. Yeah, that's good. Thank you guys for coming on. All right, that's going to appreciate. Us. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump. I, that espresso kicked in about <laughs> an hour ago. I'm ready to I was, talk. I was going to make one comment that you really made Chris Schilling's day by, you know, uh, putting putting him out on the air there yeah. and throwing his name out there. He he is going to be over the moon. So. Well, you know, he, he probably is because you know, Laura, she's been she's been coming in. Yeah. You know, she was during all this stuff, and she was kind of in between offices. She's been kind of co-officing with us, and it's been great because. Um, she adds a, a level of integrity to a and, high and, level of credibility and, and rigor to Josh lady. and I, who, as you can see, I mean, Josh is really just trying to look professional, like he's organized. Just scribble some notes here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have zero notes on my head, so. <laughs> Amy Cohen Barry, right here. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know, she's been on helping. Uh, you know, some of the folks she's known, like Peter Bernard, who who she worked with at Halliburton and uh, Wesley Hunt and Dan. And so it's been it's been great. So, yeah, I'm sure Chris she's, is yeah. excited. Uh, he's we've he, he's still got to catch up to her, though. I mean, she's a tough act to follow. Listen, she makes us look bad. Yeah, she's yeah, she very professional. She when she comes in for these pre-show notes, she shows us everything she has. It's like, oh, now, well, now what do you guys have? 
and we're like, Laura, this is this is a train wreck. We're just going to get on and turn on Jonathan, <laughs> turn on the microphone, and here we go. So, well, listen, I've attempted to prep him for things like this. And I'm like, it's just not worth no. it. It's just it's I'm <laughs> great at this. Clearly yeah, <laughs> great. What do I need any prep work for? This is just remember fantastic. the only easy day was yesterday. There's always room to improve your position. Well, don't <laughs> compromise myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to wrap us up from the Oldfield 360 Podcast Studio today. Subscribe on all your uh, social media channels. We're on every single podcast podcast platform. Uh, David, again, thank you, gentlemen. Good luck to you all. Thank you. Industry, keep your head up. We are almost out of the apocalypse, maybe. Uh, But either way, it doesn't matter. We have to keep moving forward. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. This episode of the Oil Field 360 podcast was brought to you by the following companies. EIV Capital, a growth equity-focused private equity firm, which has been providing capital to the North American energy industry since 2009. The team has extensive experience across the entire energy value chain. We invite you to visit EIVCapital.com and learn how we partner with entrepreneurs to build businesses. Merit Advisors, crafting holistic tax solutions to improve your cash flow and add profit back to your bottom line. When it comes to state and local taxes, Merit is the expert in the oil and gas industry. Visit MeritAdvisor.com. World Oil. For more than 103 years, World Oil has provided global decision makers with coverage of the latest market intelligence and technological advances relating to the upstream oil and gas industry. To subscribe and learn more about these essential resources, please visit worldoil.com slash subscribe. Thank you to our sponsors, Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, SimmonsPSC.com, Locked in Global Energy and Marine, LockedIn.com, Tomahawk Safety, TomahawkSafety.com, Prang and Associates, Prang.com, Daniel Energy Partners, DanielEP.com, EIV Capital, EIVCapital.com, Galtway Marketing, GaltwayMarketing.com, Range Valuation Services, RangeValuationServices.com, Merit Advisors, MeritAdvisor.com. World Oil, worldoil.com, Fletcher Azul Tequila, FletcherAzulTequila.com. For more information on today's guest and to learn more about our sponsors, please follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, or at oilfield360.com. Piper Sandler Companies, NYSE PIPR, is a leading investment bank and institutional securities firm driven to help clients realize the power of partnership. Securities brokerage and investment banking services are offered in the U.S. through Piper Sandler and Company, member SIPC and FINRA, in Europe through Piper Sandler Limited, authorized and regulated by the Securities and Futures Commission. Asset management products and services are offered through four separate investment advisory affiliates, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC registered Piper Sandler Investment Management, LLC, PJC Capital Partners, LLC, and Piper Sandler and Company and Guernsey-based Parallel General Partners Limited, authorized and regulated by the Guernsey Financial Services Commission. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, are the energy specialists of Piper Sandler.